Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Welcome to episode 24, wherein Graham McMillan and I discuss the return of Mark Bagley to Marvel, Spider-Man, both Amazing and Ultimate, the Golden Age of Letter Columns, Walt Simonson's Fantastic Four, and maybe Sammy Davis Jr. and or Satan. So, we hope you enjoy it, and thanks for listening. Jeff, hello, listeners, hello. I'm going to tell you what I've just done between telling Jeff that I needed a couple of minutes, and right now, I managed to, as I do almost every single week, crash my computer just by plugging the headset into it. <laughs> Dude! I, I don't know, I don't know why! <laughs> I don't know why this happens. Uh, the best part was, I was actually finishing a post for Techland, and I had, I like, I was in the middle of saving it when the computer crashed. Did you, you still have your posts then, right? Yes. Luckily, like, uh, Firefox is like, system restore. Do you still want to save this? And I was like, you bet your bippy. <laughs> you know, I was thinking just the other day, what a shame it was that people don't say, bet their bippies anymore. You know? Like, in I'm fact, gonna have back for 2011. Are. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's coming back. I thought you were actually a little too young to bet bet your bippy, in fact. Uh, I don't think you're ever too young to bet your bippy. <laughs> well, there's maybe, a maybe in certain states, but... You know. that, that is true. There, there is an age of bippy consent, is in my understanding. I, I have to admit, I'm not entirely sure I know what a bippy is. <laughs> I yeah, Exactly. I've never known. I don't think that... Oh, you, you don't know either. So it's not like just something that I am. Like, I, I am either too not born in America and or young to understand, you don't know either. Well, you, you know where, I know where the reference comes, but I've always assumed that it was a, it was a nonsense word that it didn't really mean anything. I, I, I'm going to Google right now. I believe that it came from laughing. Oh, it's, it's a jocular euphemism for ass, apparently. Oh, really? You bet yeah. your sweet bippy. Yep. Uh, did it come from Laugh-In, or was it in use before? Uh, it seems to... It, a lot of people are definitely attributing it to Laugh-In, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of the context. Dictionary.com actually says, US slang, the kind of thing that once sounded naughty on Laugh-In. <laughs> you know, I think it's wonderful that the line between uh, Dictionary.com and fake AP style book is slowly disappearing year by year. <laughs> It's kind of amazing. What happened to the fake AP style book book? Was that not announced like over a year ago? I, I thought it was coming out. I just sort of assumed it was already out there, you know? Maybe it is. I, I have no idea. I just remember like when it was announced and people started thinking, oh my God. Right. But there you go. Hey, did you, in fact, you won't have seen it because I've just seen that it's, it's literally just gone up right now. Um, one of the stories I wrote up for Techland today. Yes. It's just like incredibly depressing. Ooh, Research, researchers have discovered, or this is what they claim, that if you spend more than four hours sitting down a day, mm-hmm. you're increasing your chance of heart attack or stroke by 113%. <laughs> In other words, everyone. Everyone, yes. <laughs> It's funny because it's actually been and like it's been reported as like if you do, if you're in, if you watch television or you're on your computer, like you know because they're describing it as screen based entertainment. But then when you read into it, it's actually just sitting down. Yeah. See, that's I'm like uh, any information processor. Like I'm in my I'm in my seat for like ten hours at a shot. Like yeah. Day job. And apparently there is no exercise you could do to like even it out. Really? Okay, that's... Well, you know, here's the thing. Like, I honestly believe that these things work. Like, nature is, like, we've managed to get rid of most of our predators. A lot of the diseases are on the run. We had, like, a good, like, 50 or 80 years, and eventually evolution's going to figure out a way to cull the herd, you know? And it's going to be... We're going to start dying of ridiculous things. Well, I, well, clearly we have started dying for ridiculous things. But here's my thing. Yes. If anyone who sits down for more than four hours a day has this, does that not change the baseline? Well, yeah. Because so, so many people do that. Does that not mean that, that it's not that you're increasing, it's that people who for some reason do not sit down for more than four hours a day 
right. are 130% less likely. Right. See, so suddenly that's it. You just need to skew it. Like, hey, researchers have shown you can cut your risk of heart attack by 113% by not sitting four hours at a time. Yeah, it's, it's, but it's, it's hilarious. Like, I'm, I'm kind of stunned by it, especially because one of the researchers mm-hmm. is basically saying, like, the way around this is to stand most of the day. Right. And it's like, I'm not really sure if that's practical. Well, I mean, for someone like you, technically it is. You could get yourself set up at uh, one of those standing desks. There are dudes who totally subscribe to that sort of thing. Yeah, but here's the thing. I'm not, I mean, I'm not sure I could stand all day. I would want to sit down. Oh, yeah, sure. But but this is it. I'm sure you could. I'm sure you could, like, stand for three hours, sit for an hour, stand for another three hours, sit for another hour. It'd be good. As somebody yeah, but who... still, at the end of the day, I will still, I will still have sat down for four hours. Um, it's so... not four hours continuously. Oh my god! It's just four hours total. Like, four hours a day. Yes. Who hasn't sat down for like exactly. four hours a day? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so it's not like Stanford Harris is ever It's, it's at any point during the day, if cumulatively you've sat down for four hours. Okay, that seems really silly. That's it. Well, actually, maybe it's not silly. Maybe it makes sense because you know, uh, heart attacks. Uh, heart attacks have been around for a while and seem to be growing. So you know, I mean, what the hell? I think I might start. So, what about lying down? Does that mean that we can it, all it start? Does, it doesn't say anything about lying down. That's what I've been wondering as well. Like, if everyone started working lying down, would that be better? Yeah. Would, would that actually, like, cut back on the risk? Like, I don't know. I think we need to see some follow-up studies here. Well, the, the, the uh, researcher, lead researcher, is pretty much like, this is incredibly early days in this research. We have so much more to look into on this. And it's kind of like, yes, you do. <laughs> yeah, but it's perfect. You grab headlines. Like, I'm, you know, it all really those dudes have like... to do is, like, go on Kickstarter. I'll throw some money their way. It's like... It's like the headlines are all if you're watching four hours of television, you're dead. And it's like, that's not the story. <laughs> the story is if you sit down for right. four hours a day. Yep. I'm filing a, a lawsuit against my employer starting tomorrow. Good luck with that. I think <laughs> you've got a lot of reasons to file lawsuits against your employer, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a minimal one compared with everything else. Come on. Okay, here comes the part of the podcast that we cut with the like. Girl from Ipanema music. We should do um, the... the uh, God, I forgot his name. Sammy Davis Jr. version. Oh. Of, which is so good. Really? That's great. Oh, it's, that oh it's really, really good. Especially because like, there's something very... um, And I mean this is a nice sweet nerdy about Sammy Davis Jr.'s voice to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's absolutely spectacular it's it's like this like crazy nerd is has seen this girl at the beach it's really really funny i don't know why well let's face it i mean sammy davis jr was the nerd of you know the rat pack like far and away you know what i mean like if there was ever like of any of the members of the rat pack that were ever going to like put on a stormtrooper helmet and walk around comic-con it would be sammy davis jr he might not even you know he was he was African American and Jewish and married to Jane Mansfeld and a Satanist. I mean, right off the bat. Oh, and he had a he had a, he had a love affair with Linda Lovelace. Hang so, on, I hang, mean, hang, hang on. Did you see he was a Satanist? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he flirted with <laughs> Satanism. You know, I mean, <laughs> what? Yeah, I mean, he went to a couple of the Church of Satan's like hangout things, going to Anton Lavey, as I recall. Oh my god! Yeah, he's, I, I, might... I, I, I honestly feel like a character in one of those stories where like the everything you know is wrong. <laughs> yeah, like the Candyman can't be a Satanist. That's just wrong. Uh, like I said, maybe he was just flirting with the Satanism. Yeah, yeah but even so, what? Yeah, Sammy Davis Jr. I I honestly expected better from you, Sammy Davis Jr. You knew about the Linda Lovelace thing, though, right? No, I, I admit I'm not a massive Simon Davis Jr. What uh, is wrong with you, Graham? I cannot believe it. I thought you were Mr. Rat Pack. I figured you'd have all this. Oh, I missed a certain Rat Pack. I mean, when you start talking about Peter Lawford, I completely tune out. <laughs> well, that's fair. 
honestly. Who didn't like? He was just around for the the Kennedy ties, I think. Let's see. He had. I'm I'm now reading his Wikipedia page. Wait for Sammy Davis Jr. or for Sammy Davis Jr. He was involved with Kim Novak. Oh, Kim Novak, yeah. And then May Britt. It doesn't say anything about Linda Lovelace, as we said. Really? Hold on. Yeah. You're like, really? Dude, it I, ended I, up. I'm to fix that right now. Dude, I remember Oh, oh my God, I love, love, love the Sammy Davis. There's a photo of Sammy Davis uh, hanging out with Richard Nixon on the Wikipedia page. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I'll have to check that out. Um, uh, also, Jim Henson, creator of the Muppets, incidentally died the same day as Davis. Or is there something linking them? Oh my god, I would Sammy, love... Sammy, Sammy, let's face it, by the end of his life, because I've got a photograph here, did kind of look like a Muppet. So... <laughs> he looked like a Muppet all the way through! <laughs> I love when you say that in some sense of <laughs> He's always looked like a Muppet. Come on! Uh, yeah. Sammy Davis Jr. and Linda Lovelace. Uh, I, although, I, I, as I recall, they were, I thought they were romantically connected, but who can tell right here for me, a casual Google search. It'd be great if I managed to get a sued by the estate of Sammy Davis Jr. for everything that I got wrong here. Uh, Sammy Davis oh, Jr. I think, I think the word you're looking for is allegedly involved with Linda Lovelace. He, according to Linda Lovelace's uh, autobiography, he, they were allegedly involved, and according to... Uh, Hey, if, if you're just, like, talking about what she says in her autobiography, surely you can't be sued, because you're theoretically just repeating what she said, she could be sued. Come on. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Sue Lovelace. Come on. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we're now 11 minutes into this comics podcast, and we've talked about Sammy Davis Jr., and um, whether sitting down can kill you. Yep. It's good to know we, we really are keeping our, like... Our promise to stay. Our laser like focus. <laughs> it's totally true. It's like I don't know if James Massent has actually successfully uploaded his like recreation of our text podcast, but I'm thinking his second should just be a bunch of kittens chasing yarn as sort of a <laughs> surrealistic uh, recreation of one of our podcasts because it's it's pretty much on the money. So our new explanation of what we do on this podcast. Yes. Uh, so, listeners, uh, Jeff and I should let you know that we are changing up the way we're doing the podcast this week. As a experiment slash whole new status quo, we haven't decided yet. Yes. And we're only going to do an hour. And we're going to, like, we're going to stop. We're not going to do, like, 12 hours and then edit it up into, like, 17 different episodes. We're doing an hour and then we're, then we're out. Exactly. Exactly. So... So, so that's why it's all the more important that we've wasted 12 minutes talking about this. That's right. If you think about it, it's now become more wasteful than ever. So <laughs> we're actually really impressed with that accomplishment because we thought we couldn't really be more wasteful. But and, and the best part is, listeners, uh, Jeff and I have actually emailed about what we should talk about and we've still managed to get off topic. <laughs> <laughs> we have yet to arrive at the topic at all. Like, we, hint. Sammy Davis Jr. was not supposed to be involved in any way. <laughs> exactly, that, that just came about by accident. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Sorry, our apologies. But uh, <laughs> by all means, um, if you have an opinion, feel free to let us know in comments, uh, either on iTunes or at, uh, at SavageCritic.com. Uh, we want to try and hit like sort of the sweet spot so that you're getting enough of your weekly dose of Jeff and Graham and not so much that you're like, I can't keep up, I'm going to quit, and last time you spent 45 minutes talking about Christmas trees. So, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to make this work for you. Help us help you, listeners. <laughs> Please, did you hear the dog barking? Yes, totally, that, it was that perfect. Was awesome. <laughs> it, was, it was perfectly timed. I'm like, the the oh, timing God. was spectacular. Yeah. Uh, like, I will help you. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Less. Says. Less. <laughs> and feed me more. Surprisingly, exactly. the listeners have, have said they want to be walked more and fed more. Uh, okay. I think, that, I think that's probably true. Mm-hmm. Of, of all listeners. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> They're like, apparently, since I'm, I should be sitting a fuck of a lot less, you should be walking me much more. Uh, so, so, yes, listeners, if you could listen to this on an exercise bike, then that's probably better for you. 
It, that is. That is. I wonder how many people, I, if, if people actually try listening to this while exercising. The other day while I was on the treadmill, I totally had this thought of like, yeah, I should load up actual other podcasts and catch up with the podcasting stuff while I'm exercising. Oh, when I'm when I'm in the, the, the machines at the gym, I am almost always watching whatever is on the television in front of me, which is why I've started catching up with things like Chopped on Food Network or <laughs> last night, The Green Hornet. They had a Green Hornet marathon on sci-fi. Oh, wow. That would have been lovely. Yeah, I wish I had never seen the Green Hornet TV show before. I've only seen, I, I don't think, I, you know, I'm not sure I've ever seen a complete episode. It's got the awesome theme song. And then it's, after that, it, I'm like, mm, it's all kind of downhill. It's Yeah, it is kind of downhill. It's kind of like a, uh, it, the problem is, is like, it's really like the Batman TV show because it was the same producers, but mm-hmm. they play it more straight, mm-hmm. uh, and which doesn't really work. Well, uh, yeah, or, or or like they're trying to be like even more straight-facedly funny, but they don't. No, because it's not funny. That's just it. Like it's literally it just oh, it's, it like an, it's, it's like an it's like an episode of like Perry Mason, but uh, <laughs> it includes like Bruce Lee and whoever the other guy is, like in masks. Okay, come on, just the idea. Like seriously, I would watch that now. Like, what doesn't sound <laughs> hilarious about an episode of Perry Mason with like Bruce Lee in a mask? Yeah, it's not meant to be hilarious. It would like, be I, awesome. <laughs> it might be hilarious, but it's not meant to be. Hey, did you ever read any of the Green Hornet comics? Talking about comics for a second? I did not. I think I think Dynamite needs to get on the stick and get me on their uh, freebie list so that I can be caught up with you. You, you say that, but then you would get an awful lot of comics. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Um, however, I have to say, as much as I gave them complete shit for just pumping out mm-hmm. far too many comics, um, the main series, the Kevin Smith series, which mm-hmm. is now no longer Kevin Smith, Phil Hester's taking over as writer. Right. Uh, and... The two other quote-unquote main series, which are Green Hornet Strikes, which is like future Green Hornet, and Green Hornet Year One, which is... Uh, who is it? Dean Motter? Uh, can't remember it. Can't um, that's, some, uh, that's some quality talent right it's there. Dean might, it might not be. I'm trying to think who writes Green Hornet Year One. Matt, sorry, it's Matt Wagner. Matt Wagner writes Green Hornet Year One. Ah, okay, that makes sense. Um, are all surprisingly strong. Uh, and it's actually kind of a shame that they flooded it with all the spin-offs because they've done a shitload of spin-offs. Right. But the three core books um, are are good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually make me relatively interested in the movie, which is apparently great. I've had people email me all week and tell me it was good. I, I'm looking for... I, I've, I want to just say I've always been in the corner of I wanted to see the Green Hornet movie. Ever since Michelle Gondry got signed, frankly, you know, it, I would have seen it back when they had Stephen Chow on it, but once he left and then Michelle Gondry was on, I'm like, I will see this movie. And then I saw the trailers. I'm like, the trailers look okay. You know, it's a comic book movie by, if nothing else, a guy who's done a comic book. So I'm, I'm okay with that. You know? I know. I'm, I'm really rather looking forward to it. And I, I keep getting emails, like I said, this week from people saying, holy crap, it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> like surprise. It's funny. Cause I thought, um, I can't remember when it was, I was, think it was the beginning of December. Mm-hmm. There was a report that like a test screening had happened and the test screening results were amazing. Mm-hmm. The audiences were like, holy shit, this is great. And I will definitely recommend it to people, which never happens. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like Sony walked I, out of there going, wait, we might have a hit. Did we yeah. like screw this up? So, um, and I remember back then, and I, I definitely said this in Techland over the year. Um, I think it's like the anti-Tron. I think it's one of those things that like the nerds completely are like, oh, it's going to be terrible. And then it's going to be such a fucking hit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, that's it. I, ho- I hope it's going to be a hit. I'm worried that it's actually just going to be like Scott Pilgrim, which will be like in, in the sense of it's going to be a amazing. really, yeah, and a really amazing film that the audience is just not going to be there for. Although in this case, it's more scheduling problems, I think, you know, than anything else. I just think that, it's it may not be on anyone's radar, but um, but yeah, man, do not count Michelle Gondry out. That's my my. Question. No, I, I'm not. I um, so I'm looking forward to it. But no, the comics are good. Getting back to what I was. Oh ah, yes, right, right, right. Um, so yeah, I would definitely recommend for anyone who likes their. If anyone likes, for example, Sandman Mystery Theater, mm-hmm. you should try Green Hornet Year One. Um, it's not exactly this thing. It's much pulpier. Right. But like, put this way, if you like Matt Wagner doing um, Sandman Mystery Theater or his early Batman stuff, remember he did like Batman versus the Mad Monk? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you like that, then you should be picking up Green, uh, Green Hornet Year One. Interesting. 
Interesting. Yeah, it's so funny. Once you said that he was on Green Hornet Year One, I'm like, oh right. I mean, it's like Sandman Mystery Theater all over again. You know, sort of. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and it makes sense. And also, the art is by I think it's Aaron Aaron Campbell, and it's really good. It's it's very much in the Michael Lark school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and the coloring is by Franco Francavilla, who does oh, the yes. artist doing. Um, Black Detective Panther right now. And and Detective, Black yeah. Mm-hmm. His colors are great. He's yeah. really not afraid to just be like, and, you know, the light is orange, but the light from this side is green. <laughs> you know, I just have these really bold colors, which is, is wonderful. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, he's a, that guy is quite a talent. And yeah, his, his, his colors are lovely. Um, and he's apparently as fast as shit to keep doing Black Panther and Detective. Yeah, and and he's, and, and, he's just... and he's still doing covers for Dynamite and coloring uh, Green Hornet Year One. A month. That is crazy. Yeah. I mean that that's a work ethic right there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It totally is. That man is in the zone. Uh, so, um, well, that's that's great. Uh, so those things are ongoing. It's kind of a shame because I think they, I think they just sort of it seems to me like dynamite was like, okay, we'll just like flood the market, take what we can and walk away. And there's again, almost like with the green green Hornet movie, there's this thing of like, no, there's actually a quality product here that if you had a little more faith in, like maybe it would have a stronger hold in the marketplace. Cause from what I can see, like the green Hornet books, at least the core books started strong and, seem to be almost holding in sales despite themselves. Is that correct? Or I, I think they might have fallen slightly, but again, you have to look at the fact that they really seriously flooded the market. Yeah, However, easily so. something that someone said to me, and I should point out, it's not anyone from Dynamite who said this to me. It was someone, uh, an, a, another comics journalist, shall we say, um, suggested that, and I have no idea if they're like making this up or have inside knowledge, but that dynamite had to flood the market. It was a contractual thing. Mm. Which is in other words, they got the license if they, they, got, agreed they got the to license. release so many titles or a month but, or yeah. something. Well, I, I the way I took it when I, I was being told was they got the ti- they got the license on the understanding that by the time the movie came out, there would be a certain amount of collections out. Oh, I see. Wow. Huh. Which again may be entirely fictional. Maybe it would make a certain amount of sense. It does make a lot, an awful lot of sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course, if that's the case, the whole thing of when the movie got moved back, like four or five months. Exactly, sure Dynamite like, must be like, "Fuck you." Because <laughs> <laughs> huh. because well, Dynamite, um, rightly I think, got killed for for their yeah. Green Hornet release schedule. <clears throat> yeah, I mean it. It well, it's just it's something that that honestly doesn't do anyone any good. Yeah, you know? yeah. which kind of brings me around a little bit to uh, some of some of the things that I wanted to talk about, um, which is kind of this sort of you know the the public face of what we see of what happens and the things that that are actually you know the machinations behind the scenes that make things that way. Um, because I, I um, to back up a little bit, listeners, uh, I picked up <clears throat> on the advice of peeps on Twitter, for which um, I am super grateful to uh, Matt Springer and Jason1749 uh, for recommending that I pick up the, uh, the DVDs of the complete Spider-Man and the complete Fantastic Four to put on my iPad. Fantastic. Great. I have to tell you, I'm so jealous about the complete Fantastic Four. Yeah, yeah. Which I just looked, after you emailed me about it, I looked on Amazon today and it's like $70 or something ridiculous now. You know, it's kind of weird. It sort sort of jumped up in price. Like, I got it at, at 50 bucks. It wasn't, it's not like a huge savings, but I got that Fantastic Four slash Silver Surfer one for, mm-hmm. for $50. And which, I have... Which is probably amazing, because I, I got the, and I think I said this to you way back when it happened last summer. I got the Amazing Spider-Man and the X-Men ones from the Portland Library. Uh-huh. And I, I love the format. And I actually own the Avengers one and the Star Trek one as well. <laughs> oh, my God. You own those? Yes. Oh, my God. You own the Avengers one? Oh. Yes. 
because dude that that one is out of print and is selling i don't know if you saw that on amazon but it's going for hundreds of dollars yeah yeah i'm not giving it up i love my avengers one <laughs> yeah seriously and if you ever end up with an ipad it is the it is the ipod pad's friend so yeah i mean here's i mean the the i was looking around the only complaint that i have at this point is as far as i can tell is the fantastic four uh collection has all the annuals, but it doesn't have those few lone giant sized Fantastic Fours from the seventies. Same with the Avengers. The Avengers doesn't have the giant size issues. You're right. And I assume that's gonna be the case with Spider Man, which frankly was closer to giant size Marvel team up as I recall. But not a problem. But uh but yeah, it's sort of it's also funny because looking at the Fantastic Four annuals, I'm like I think a lot of these are reprints. You know, there's some original stuff in there, but I remember looking at a few of these going, oh, right, some of those annuals, they just slapped, like, two prime Kirby Senate issues together and, like, you know, wrapped a new sequence around it. But that's that's all Marvel. So I've been reading, I started off reading, as as I mentioned to you in an email, Amazing Spider-Man. I just picked, I think, issue 117 or 116 at random. And started reading through to 129, which is where I got last night, the first appearance of the Punisher, which is one of the earliest comics I remember buying. Uh, and what's fascinating is the letter pages, which are written by, I, I'm assuming, Jerry Conway, <clears throat> although maybe it's the, the editor on the book, which may be Roy Thomas, I don't remember, seems very Conway-ish, covers the period where Gwen Stacy dies and dealing with the fallout from that. And... Um, on a lesser note, which is kind of interesting, do you remember when Spider-Man had that black and white newsstand magazine that yes. only came out for an issue or two? Yeah. They apparently took the storyline for that because apparently it never it never finished its story that it might have started in the second issue and then never completed in the third because there was no third issue. Mm-hmm. They basically turned around, reprinted that, in color in the Amazing Spider-Man comic book and scripted it to fit into continuity. So it's really weird. It's like John Romita art. The script is by Stan Lee and Jerry Conway because half the pages are Lee's. And then there's new pages that John Romita is doing so that it fits into the current color comic book continuity. So the, and the thing that's amazing about this is it's all explained in the letters page. It's inc- I'm, like, I'm kind of like back in the day like when there's no internet or anything to explain this stuff or there's no sort of weird hand waving it's just very much on the face front true believers we're sure you're wondering doesn't this story look familiar and so it says it's like this is a reprint but it's not because we changed it you know and we have a new ending for it so uh, it was kind of it's kind of and then right after that you've got Gwen Stacy kicking the bucket and you've got all these people writing in. And what's great is, is at the end, I, I, I should have broken open a, this particular letters column so that I could read it to you. Because the, the description is a masterpiece of, like, passive-aggressive getting, getting taking the blame and trying to get off the hook at the same time. Because they were basically like, we didn't kill Gwen Stacy circumstances killed Gwen Stacy, which is like, what? And they they go on to talk about this. Like, yeah, we, um, you know, it's just a fact that the book was getting stale because Peter's relationship with Gwen was kind of just in a rut and the book was suffering for it. And there was just no real way to resolve it. And we realized this was going to be what was going to have to happen. But it's just a fact of life. Sometimes people die for circumstances beyond your control. We wish it was otherwise, but that's the way it is, true believer. And I'm just like, dudes, you guys did this, and you did it because you were totally, like, trying to, like, get out of the rut. And yet, so there's this weird thing of, like, it's it really is sort of like, you know, one more day, uh, you know, like, 30 years previously. Um and yet it seems very it, – it just seemed refreshingly straightforward, if for no other reason than you're reading it in a letters page, I suppose, as opposed to an internet page. So there's kind of a direct, like, and it's in between people's letters, one of which is, uh, I believe, a very young Ralph Macchio from, you know, before he started working at Marvel. 
Uh, One day I'll grow up and edit spy- Ultimate Spider-Man, he says. Yeah, exactly. And boy, when I kill Gwen Stacy, y- you guys better watch hey, out, Ed. Gwen Stacy's still alive, my friend. Uh, yeah, but she died the first time, so. <laughs> <laughs> they just it, brought her back, you know. It, it didn't lit. Isn't she brought back by, like, because I wasn't reading at that point. Like, I, I, I stopped mid-backlay and then started again with the, the relaunch, so I actually have no idea how they brought her back. I don't know either. The last I recall is they she died with was it Ultimate Venom or Ultimate Carnage, and that's pretty much when I I fell off the book because I thought they handled the storyline really badly. So I, I think I stuck around for another fifteen twenty issues. I didn't pay attention to when she came back. I assume she came back as part of the whole clone storyline that happened around Ultimate Spider Man one hundred or so. Yeah, I have no idea, but I, I have to say I am preparing to drop Ultimate Spider Man again. Again, really. Uh, I, the well, first of all, the death of Spider-Man storyline not really of interest to me. The crossing over with Ultimate Avengers not of interest to me, and bringing Mark Bagley back in the book to replace David LaFuente and Sarah Pacelli definitely not of interest to me. <laughs> I, it's kind of like they're like, what three things can we do to right, make the book push seem Graham really off no, no, but to make the book seem really backwards looking. What are the three things we could do to make it look like instead of this This is the exciting line where anything could happen, we are desperately trying to regain old glories. Right. Uh, how about we cross over with another book and we kill off the main character and we bring back the artist who hasn't been on the books for, what, six years, seven years? Right, right. Well, you know, the thing that I find interesting to, for me is is that, A, I, 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 thought, I thought Backley's art was great, but after a while I just kind of got... I don't know, bored of it? Bored of I mean, it? Yeah. Yeah, I, you know. Bagley's a really weird artist. I was thinking this when he left Justice League. Because mm-hmm. when he was on Justice League, it's not like I was ever like, wow, this art's amazing. Mm-hmm. But um, but he actually, he has a quality. And he's, like, he's, I think it's one of those things, like, everything apart from his style, I appreciate. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like, no, really so totally his layouts are fine. Like, his actual faces, for example, mm-hmm. I find really problematic. Right. Uh, in part because... He's great for Ultimate Spider-Man, but bad for any other book because he makes every character look really young to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, Ultimate Spider-Man was a perfect match for him. And, you know, honestly, I think he would have been well-served to go on and do, I don't know, you know, something kind of like similar but different, you know? Because he's got, he's got, I think his storytelling chops are are really good. I mean, I, I don't know, I again, that could be where he meshed super well with Bendis, but I just thought between the two of them, it was a really nice organic combination. It was just one that after about, you know, a hundred issues or so I got tired of. And especially once Bendis started misfiring. Um, but, but I had no idea when, for me, when Bagley left USM, even as a kind of fan, I wasn't like, wow, here's a guy who can draw anything. And I want to see him draw all the heavy hitters of the DC universe. It's like, I kind of want him to draw like a a Teen Titans book. A, yeah, <laughs> or maybe give him, give him Wonder Girl. Right, right. Well, or even yeah, give him Wonder Girl. I mean, like seriously, he doesn't strike me as like a group dynamic book. I guess maybe it's just because uh, as his his storytelling was always kind of in close and relatively intimate. I guess yeah. which yeah. which served USM really well. And I think the larger you get a team book, the harder it is to kind of do the intimate stuff. You know, you, just by its nature, you've got to have larger medium shots or group shots or that sort of thing, you know? Something I found wonderful uh, when it was announced he was going back in Ultimate Spider-Man, mm-hmm. uh, I, because I'm a masochist, went to the Bendis boards to see what the reaction was. Right. And so many people there were like, DC completely just screwed the pooch with Bagley. And all I could think was, how... They gave him Trinity and Justice League. That's two pretty big fucking books. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like, 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 what else could they have done to make him feel better? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, maybe he wasn't looking to do quite as heavy uh, a penciling stretch as as a as a yearly book, but I mean, as a weekly book. Um, but I mean, he was pretty used to it by his speedy on USM, so I don't think that would have been a deal. No, they, I, I thought they did everything to like basically give him, you know, the crown jewels. I just yes. don't think that he was particularly well suited for them. So, 
you know, I'll be curious to see what else he does. Because in a way, part of me is like, I'm not sure if he, you know, I have no interest in seeing him on USM, but I'm not really sure what he would end up doing at Marvel, frankly, if he wasn't there as well. well that, but what, that what's, fascinating to me is, what's fascinating to me is he doesn't seem to be on USM permanently. Mm-hmm. Is he just coming? They just say the death of Spider-Man storyline, and they don't pretty, have anything. Pretty much, it. and Bendis is like Bendis quoted something like, "We've got great plans within the Ultimate Universe and the mainstream Marvel Universe," which implies yeah. like he's doing like a, a storyline, then he's off. Mm-hmm. But it it seems entirely destructive to USM to me. Mm-hmm. It feels like a backward set visually. Uh, it feels like they completely devalued La Fuente and Pacelli as a, right. as artists, especially with Chris Samney, whose work I adore being put in for the issue before that as well. It honestly looks like they're like, you know what? LaFontaine Pacelli cannot handle a big storyline. Hmm. Um, I, I I, mean, I don't see the point unless they're actually finishing the book. Right. Well, maybe they will. I kind of doubt it. I kind of doubt I, yeah, exactly. Are, yeah. I mean, the other thing that's kind of funny is it's only, what, two years ago that Marvel previously tried Ultimate Spider-Man is Dead as a storyline. Right. Mm-hmm. No, I know. I, I mean, that's one of the things why I all but did a spit take when they did both the, the you know, the ad rollout and all the phrases of like, we're doing something that's never been done before. I'm like, really? Because right now it looks totally like something that you've done before and within super recent memory, frankly. So, yeah, I don't, again, it gets back to that thing that I was sort of talking about. To jump back a little bit, one of the things that's really great about reading these uh, Spider-Man letter columns is there's a bunch of people, like everyone says, like, I'm bummed about Gwen, but don't bring her back. Let her stay dead. Like every letter. Now, admittedly, the the person selecting the letters for the letter column has control over that. But it was completely consistent. Even people who are like, I hate the fact that you did this, but don't. Don't and, cheapen and it, yeah. Don't cheapen it. Don't turn it into a dumb comic booky thing and have it come back. And one of the things that's really great is there's there again, there's this whole little uh the the editor on the letter column that I'm assuming is Conway goes, We wouldn't do that, we would never cheapen it, it's very important that dead stay dead, and this is a huge moment. Spider Man's all about moving forward, and this is a way to move this character in and totally like you know, keep everything fresh. And the thing that's great is I, you know, thanks to the miracle of knowing history 30 years later, I've read stuff with Jerry Conway where he was, you know, his given interviews where he was like, so yeah, we did all this. And Stan Lee came in and said to me one day, um, I'm getting too many complaints. You got to bring back one Stacy. And he was like, what? No, I, I can't bring her back. And he's like, no, no, just think of something. You got to do it, you know? And this is the thing that I find really fascinating to me is, is that there's this whole, like, here's all these letter columns where he's like, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And I, I'm behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah, your boss turns around and goes, oh, and by the way, we need this to happen. And you're like, oh, fuck, what do I do now? You know? And I, I think it's kind of fascinating because, of course, it leads into what a storyline that I, I love the return of Gwen Stacy and the, the Jackal and the Spider-Man clone. It all looked like it was designed to be completely consistent and coherent, you know, and I, I, again, reading Conway's introductions to various pieces and articles, clearly it wasn't. Um, And it's kind of amazing that sometimes, you know, you end up in that situation of like, Oh, I'm fucked. What do I do now? And then you end up like creating this thing. And then, of course, the irony is the whole Spider-Man clone saga that, you know, that's the first Spider-Man clone story, which then ends up, you know, basically putting Spider-Man back in the in the sewer back in the 90s with the whole clone saga where everyone lost their shit. So, um, yeah, but I mean, do, do you remember reading the um, if I have you read the life of Riley, like online? Do you have a cold, Jeff? Um, uh, listeners, you might be surprised to note that we have a variety of sneezing cats that are rampaging through the neighborhood. It wasn't the sneezing, my friend. It was the blowing of the nose. Yeah, it was the blowing of the nose. Um, no, but do you remember the, uh, Life of Riley, like, online column that went on for a long time? Uh, I'm going through the clone saga as it happened. I... 
did not. I don't. Oh, you, you should definitely read it. You should definitely look at it and read it. Um, because it starts with just like a, a reader who's like, I'm going to go through and see where it all went wrong. And then as it goes on, like the assistant editor of the time starts contributing. Uh-huh. And then you get some writers involved as well. And they're all incredibly candid and being like, you know, this was the plan. Then we were told you can't do that. So we had a week to come up with a whole new idea. And this is our idea. And we really liked back then, but it's a shit idea. Like, it, it's completely honest. It's completely honest with all them being like, you know, we have we had no idea at this point what we're doing. Wow, that's and like, and like And the editors were fighting. Oh. It, it's fascinating stuff. Um, and there was at some point a plan to compile it and add to it and release it as a book, which wow. I really hope happens. Um, because just as an insight into, as much as I think how success can completely screw with people, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the problem really was it was much more of a success than anyone thought, and so they kept being told to extend it. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a fascinating thing. It, I, I want to say it's lifeofriley.blogspot.com. Well, I will, I will look but, that but up. But it's, it's really, really worth looking up. And seeing as you have your iPad, either read it on your iPad or cut and paste all of it into documents to read at your leisure because it's so good. It's really, really great. Well, the, the other thing that's kind of amazing is like now I'm like, yeah, I guess. I mean, the, the problem is I'm not going to have all the crossover stuff, but I will have all the issues of Amazing Spider-Man. I have them right at my fingertips. So when it comes yeah, to time... You can go and be like, ooh, that's true. Right. It's like I can read the issue, then read the notes, and it's it's kind of crazy. Like, I, that's the other thing is is just I'm sort of giddy with the power of, like, I have all I can my read friends. all of it. You have, you have so much great stuff there. I mean, yeah. for me, my, my quote-unquote Spider-Man is pretty much like issue 200 through the end of the DeFalco run, which is, what, 275, something like that. That is so great. I, I love the fact that if you if we were to write down the period of our favorite eras, they would so, like, mine would stop just as yours it starts. In, yes, really. I, I really, yeah, I really think it might be. Yeah, because uh, that, that really is right where I stopped reading Spider-Man, like, right at 200 or right before or right after, I think. But, um, it's, I, like, there's just such great stuff. I mean, when, when Stern's on it with... Uh, John Romita Jr. It's yeah. so amazing, uh, and the the DeFalco friend stuff. I mm-hmm. I love I love the DeFalco friend stuff. Right. Yeah, uh, I should, I'm looking forward to checking it out, especially the Stern Romita Jr. stuff, which I remember reading some of those issues and you know, isolated issues where I'm like, this is a really good comic. I don't know why I'm not following this anymore. You know. Yeah, because I mean, he's, you've got all the the um, Hobgoblin stuff in there. Yeah, the Hobgoblin stuff. So there. it's so great. I thought that the issues that the two part Spider-Man versus the juggernaut is probably one of the best, like this is what it means to be Spider-Man yes. stories, yeah. you know, yeah. which is amazing to me because it, because it, it's an, it totally does it without doing the whole, like, and now he's buried under 900 pounds of machinery again. You know, it's like, it really is like, a fresh take on, on the way they were doing it. And I just thought that that was brilliant. Did you happen to read the sequel that they did last year? No, I was kind of tempted, but I was sort of... If, if you get the collection, mm-hmm. the collection has the original and the sequel. Oh, interesting. Which which makes for a really nice package, actually, because it's still Stern writing. Mm-hmm. And Lee, Lee Weeks is drawing the sequel. Oh, and Weeks so, is... So, you know, yeah, Weeks is good. Yeah, yeah. He's, 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 he's an interesting dude. Uh, I, I like his, he's one of those guys that just has always done like really impressive work and yet is never like dynamic enough to really kind of like draw everyone's attention or whatever. But Which like, is a shame because like he's complete, I mean, his stuff is great. His, his stuff is great. I mean, I, I'm trying to think if there's ever been anything that he drew, not, not that I followed him really closely, but... You know, he did the he he was on that Bruce Jones Hulk stuff, and I thought did a great job. And following following Ramita Jr., which was really tough at that stage, I think. And he was on Daredevil with Anne Nascenti, I mm-hmm. think, is one who I remember him again, probably following Ramita Jr. Jesus, he's like the Sammy Davis Jr. to Ramita Jr.'s. <laughs> who Ramita Jr.'s who? Uh, Frank Sinatra Jr. I was Frank? just going to. I, I, I mean, who? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. 
hey, here's a way to stay on topic and off topic at the same time. <laughs> Let's not. Oh, man. See, we could do it through the eras. because I, I, had, I have one more thing to say about your DVDs. And it's yes. your Fantastic Four one. Yes. You have the Walt Simonson run, which means I'm so jealous. Because Walt Simonson's Fantastic Four, to me, is mm-hmm. Grant Morrison's Justice League 10 years early. <laughs> Seriously, read it and you'll know exactly what I mean. I, I to- definitely ton- get the sense. Tonally, it is mm-hmm. Morrison's Justice League. Yeah. But 10 years early and no one noticed. Well, I think because he, he wrapped it in... He wrapped it in... It, he 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 made it so bright. I guess it almost seems like his his tongue is in cheek, and, and it's not. Oh, I, He's I, just having fun, you know. Yeah, I think Simonson does that a lot with superheroes because mm-hmm. a lot of his Thor as well is is bordering in parody. Yeah, well, see, and that's it. He just really has a very impish sense of humor, and I remember reading that that I love the you know this is the big one, this is the bigger one, this is the biggest one you know, yeah. a set of issues that he did. Oh, and, and also, I mean, check out the taglines on the covers. Mm-hmm. Because there was a file where, like, his, he was just getting killed by deadlines, and it actually becomes the world's latest comic magazine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's it's so, I mean, that, not only is that probably my favorite non-Lee Kirby run of Fantastic Four, it's right. probably my favorite Simonson. Mm, interesting. Uh, it started really strong for me, and then I don't remember at what point I I dropped off. It may have been the deadlines, you know. I don't know if it's the deadline problem or the fill-in problem, or the oh yeah yeah you had, you had some, you had some terrible fill-ins in there. Yeah, so I I think I think I felt I remember starting it. I it's it's actually like Simonson's store. I like started it, it and I didn't finish it. It's actually remarkably short as well. He's pretty much only on for a year. Yeah, which is like and even. Even then, like, doesn't isn't that whole um, new Fantastic Four with the Art Adams? It's, it's right in the middle, yeah. Yeah, right in the middle of that. So yeah, it's a super short run. Like, I might have the majority of those issues without even having paid much attention to it. But I remember, I remember it fondly. Of course, there's the burn stuff. Um, I'm really looking forward to the again. My prime era of Fantastic Four was like one. 27 or 8 up to issue 200 just past 200 but like that issue 200 where it's Mr. Fantastic versus Doctor Doom and it's like a Marv Wolfman story and they bring Joe Sinnott back to make it look as Kirby Sinnott-ish as possible Mm -hmm. that was just the best for me as a kid that was like is that that... that the cover where like the two of them are almost wrestling and Mr. Fantastic's got his arm around yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like a yellow cover, and yeah, he's like Mr. Fantastic's got his arms stretching and kind of like coming in, and it might even be in the form of a mace or something like that. And I, I am, I've just looked it up. Apparently, that cover was by Kirby Sinnott. Oh, was it? Was it by uh, Kirby as well? That's oh that's that's the credit I'm seeing. Uh, I know that the interior art was by Sinnott, and of course, I know that it was not by Kirby. It's probably um, Bashama, right? Well, I don't know. You know, it's tough. There was a dude... or would that would that be the Keith Pollard era? Yeah, that was Keith Pollard era. So leading up to it, it was Pollard, and then they had they. It was not Senate inking it leading in the lead up to, uh, and which was kind of frustrating because of course he's following right on the the heels of Perez, and Perez's art on Fantastic Four was gorgeous. So I think Perez was there through Thomas. Um, and then I think maybe the start of Wolfman and then Wolfman, it was Wolfman and Pollard. And I don't remember who was inking them. The name's right on the tip of my brain. And uh, But they brought Senate back to do the inks for issue 200 to give it that real, like, classic FF feel. And it, it just worked, you know. Um, especially because of everything that the team had gone through. It was like the culmination of, like... 30 issues where the team had not been the core FF. You know, you'd had Ben Grimm cycled out because he'd become human again, and you had Luke Cage in there, and then the team got reunited, but the Reed Richards in there was the evil Reed Richards, and yeah, all prime stuff for me. So that that was kind of like that, you know, Burn Simmonson, and then I've got all these these like you know, the Lee and Kirby's to read. I'm I'm kind of delighted about it. You, you, you've also got um, the Steve Ang- the late Steve Englehart run just before yes. Simonson came on, yeah. which which started off 
really well and then got crazy and then ends with the best four-parter you can imagine. <laughs> Where, were you reading at that point? Uh, you know, I again, it was I jumped off because, well, honestly, around the time that Alicia and Johnny Storm hooked up, it was so creepy and incestuous that I stopped reading. And the thing that was great is like Inglehart takes that like, oh, like he, oh, five he, steps further. Yeah, you know? it gets really fucked up. Yeah. Um, so. But no, it, so it ends with he basically gets told he's getting taken off the book, like mm-hmm. behind the scenes. Right. So he switches to a pen name. Oh, yeah. For, yeah, for yeah his yeah. final four issues. And his final four issues are the Fantastic Four are kidnapped and put into like, they're kidnapped by like a rogue watcher, which <laughs> is a great idea. Uh, and. You see the Fantastic Four's dreams as they're kept in comas, and their dreams are what Englehart had planned to do if he'd stayed on the book. Ah, oh, that's lovely. And it ends with, and while this is happening, like there's an evil Fantastic Four analog who are like going around trashing their reputation. Right. And the end of it is the Fantastic Four escape, and Franklin's like, everyone hates Fantastic Four now. You know, hey, Mister uh, Guy, Mister Man, who's writing the Fantastic Four comic in the Marvel Universe, who is the guy who's who's the pen name of Steve Englehart. Right. Um, can you restore their reputation? And his last panel is him going, I'll try, but it's going to take a better man than me. And the next page is Simonson. Simonson's thing. Wow. And it's like, next issue, whole new creative team or something like that. Wow. That's that's like one of the most gracious handoffs of all time. That's really great. And like he was fired from the book and he did that, which is kind of amazing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's, he got to say, this is what I would do if it stayed on the book. Mm-hmm. And still, like, hands it over really graciously to Simonson. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Wow. That's so I, I, I'm looking up the um, coverbrowser.com for Fantastic Four. Simonson's um, the wor- uh, Fantastic Four included the world's latest comic magazine, prehistory's greatest comic magazine, the world's <laughs> goofiest comic magazine, the world's most commercialist comic magazine. <laughs> that, that's what it's our Adam Spider-Man. Yes. No, read. The world's most collectible comic magazine. <laughs> <laughs> that's really delightful um, they, they were really having fun at that point uh, also I was reading recently the um, again from the wonderful oh by when they did the issue where everyone travels through time do you remember mm-hmm. that Simon's an issue where it's like the page is the book can be read in two different orders I shoot I don't think that I read it it's, it does sound it's familiar. Mr. Fantastic and Doctor Doom traveling through time so you can read the issue linearly and see what happens for everyone else. Right. Or you can start, I think it's like page 19, and then it says at the bottom of each page, like, where where they go next. Oh, yeah, and I like, do remember like that. The cover is actually a page of the story. Right, right. Uh, and the tagline for that one is the world's most confusing comic magazine. <laughs> I do remember that issue. Did he try another variation on it? Did he ever do that trick again? Or Because I either no, I definitely I, I, read... I think that's it. Okay, then I definitely read that issue. Um, and I remember thinking that it was very clever. I just also remember that it was kind of it was kind of flat for me. Like, Simonson, I love his work, but, I mean, apart from his Thor stuff, where it was kind of like, where he was really just pumping up so much new life into, into that uh, concept. Um, the FF stuff, I remember, like, it was, like, super fun, but it also was, it never struck me as particularly deep. And maybe I'll change my mind on that when I was re- when I'm rereading. And of course, these days I'm like, I'm much more pro fun than I used to be. Like, but back then, if it was like, but there's no like weird haunting subplot, you know, that isn't <laughs> too weird and too haunting. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, Burn and Englehart turned it into the superhero equivalent of, uh, you know. F- flowers in the attic but uh I, I oh Engelhart especially Engelhart with his because that's the period where he's doing like the crazy um that's the period where like not only is he doing like the crazy thought balloons mm-hmm. like which is, is almost commentary yeah of, of the story but um he's also into like the really weird I don't want to say like sexual relationships but it kind of is because it's the no, same totally period. Is no, sexual but it's, no but it's the same period when mm-hmm. in Green Lantern Corps he had Hal sleeping with Arissa, who had used her ye- used her ring to make her of age. Yes, no, I know, which I remember, which was which, like, a... which like Hal has an issue where he's like, "This is disgraceful." She's a child, and then then he's like, "Actually, she looks like an adult." 
No, I swear to God, that's pretty. <laughs> no, funny. I remember the issue. Believe me, because I was completely disquieted by and the whole like, thing. This, and then Star Sapphire comes into it, uh, and Star Sapphire's like, "You're the teenager who's taken my husband. I'm going to like mind control you, and you're going to lick my boots." Is that all Star Sapphire? Star Sapphire's got a real thing with her boots, doesn't she? Like, that's but, but all she's into. But like, is that not, like, the um, almost child-friendly way of doing that? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's so much yeah. you could not say. Whereas oh, I, I think see. kids would be like, okay, that's embarrassing. Right. Where I, without, like, necessarily reading any... any Right. It works both ways, sort of. The whole, like, oh, this is super humiliating, and for the fetishists, they're like, yes, three Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. It's super humiliating. Um, (laughs) It's it's funny you just said three, because I'm still looking through cover browser for Fantastic Four. And um, Jonathan Hickman, obviously inspired by Tom DeFalco's epic run, where um, in issue 381, four no more, and the book then became retitled Fantastic Three. See? There we go. I mean, everything old is new again, Jeff. Yeah, I mean that was the thing. I remember, and that's I wasn't even. I picked up, God love it. I there was a liquor store that sold comics, and I remember uh, picking up an issue of that where I, it was kind of great. It was like not because precisely because I was in a liquor store while somebody else was like buying, I don't know, you know, my roommates were buying like Wonder Bread and beer or something. I'm like, huh. Fantastic Four. I wonder what they're up to recently. And flipping through it, and it's it is totally that whole like Reed Richards is dead, and you know whoever his dad's in there, and just all this. And it's it's I'm like, huh. Clearly, Tom DeFalco has been working very hard to make somebody give a crap. You know what I mean? Like I'm yeah. like I, I'm looking through it. I'm like I'm this is just not it for me. You know? It's like I don't know. I do think as much as much as I have loved the Fantastic Four and as much as I subscribe to the theory that like anyone could do anything and you know, no there is no such thing as a bad character, there are times where I just wonder if those characters, as much as I love them, have have run their course, you know? Like I, I, I just just by sheer dint of being around for coming up on fifty years, you know. Um, are, are they actually 50 years old this year? I never remember. Is this the 50th anniversary it, it, of the Fantastic Four? The reason, the only reason why I say that and believe that it is, is thanks to this miraculous DVD. The very first year of the Fantastic Four is in 1961. Happy 50th anniversary, Fantastic Four! Yeah, the the very first issue of FF number one is in 1961, and then in 1962, it's issues two through nine. So. You know, it's kind of sad. Hmm. Jonathan Eggman is trying his hardest and Marvel is trying their hardest to be like, you know, everything is changing. We're even cancelling the book and restarting it as FF. Mm-hmm. And because it's happening with like issue 592 or something. Right. And because it's the 50th anniversary this year. you're I mean, it's literally counts down to Fantastic Four issue 600. Right. It's blue, blue, blue. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, well, it's that's... like, okay, so I guess someone's coming back to life soon then. Well, yeah, I mean that's the thing that they have done. Like it, I no offense, but I really do think that Marvel, like, you know, Hickman and Brevoort, like, I, I mean, Hickman's new to it, but Brevoort has been with this game like for a long time, and Marvel has been so like, on so egregiously in the okay. Now he's gone. Now he's back. Now they're there. Now the numbering, you know, just the numbering restarts. Oh my god, the numbering restarts are just crazy. I it's almost comical to look on Comixology uh or the Marvel app and look at how Marvel is trying to number their series cuz it will be like Fantastic 4 number 38 1969, Fantastic 4 number 38 2007, Fantastic 4 number 38. Like it's just it's just uh, the renumbering situations are just a mess, you know. I mean what? What is going to be fun for me about the death of whoever dies in Fantastic Four is that um, it has to be Johnny Storm because every other character has actually already died and come back to life. Well, yeah. <laughs> Which also sort of devalues the idea of killing any of them off because right. three of them have died and come back to life. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, how really, how worked up can we really be about this? Um, and and I think that's that's kind of this weird, like, you know, I... I I almost hope they have something up the sleeve and they kill all of them off at the same time 
And then you, what you get is a very weird alternate world version of the Fantastic Four that's same but different, and then eventually it comes together. You know, they get replaced or they don't. But again, part of me is like, but is it really impossible to believe that it's going that the status quo isn't going to, you know, be right back to where it is? And um, and and I don't, I don't, you know, I mean, it's no problem to them. They're doing what they have to do, and. Maybe there'll be some great storylines out of it, but there's there's a way in which me personally, I'm kind of I'm so meh about it, you know. I was reading um, there's a book that Titan, our series that Titan does, that are like comic creators on, and like there's comic creators on, I think X, comic creators on Spider Man, comic creators on Fantastic Four. It's a series of interviews, mm-hmm. um, and they've got Mark Wade talking about his Fantastic Four run where he kills off the thing, the and thing. then mm-hmm. then they go to heaven to rescue him. Right. And the interviewer says, essentially, like, when you cut off the thing, you didn't, like, even pretend he was dead. Like, you didn't even pretend you were keeping him dead. Right. And Mark Witt's response is, of course not. It's the thing. He's yeah. like, that's why the end of the issue is them saying, how do we get him back? As opposed to, oh, he's dead. Right. He's like, because anything else is insulting the audience. Right. Which is just hilarious to me to see all the, the someone is going to die from the Hickman run. It's like... You know, four years ago, Mark Wade was like, no one's going to believe this, guys. And now you're doing your best to try and sell us on it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's very, it's very odd. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to reread those in a way, too. Because I, I remember at the time, like, again, sort of like, that's one where if the, the ending hadn't been so surprisingly satisfying to me, I would not have been down with that storyline at all. Like... There was just something I thought it was to me always very strange that Wade, who was Mr. Like, oh, I'm, you know, more of a hard science guy. I don't really believe in magic. I don't really believe in mysticism. And it's really hard for me to connect with those books, those ideas ends up with a very mystical storyline to conclude the Fantastic Four. But I, I, think I, think, I think that's why he did it. Well, sure. But the thing that bothers me is, is at the time I remember feeling like, it may have been like a complete voyage for him, but there's nothing about the nature of faith for Mr. Fantastic in it, as I recall, that struck me as very odd, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you'd, he, want, you'd want him afterwards to be like, hey, maybe the science isn't all there is now that I've actually been to heaven. Well, yeah, or, <laughs> or even during the course of, like the whole idea of like, this is something that he can't necessarily believe in. You know, and followed on top of as it is, sort of the the Doctor Doom recreated by dark magic. You know, the the mystical Doctor Doom rather than the science science Doctor Doom. Mm-hmm. It's it's sort of make it's it's a weird skewing in his run that I guess he did it as a way to either you know keep keep it fresh for him or to keep himself on his toes. But there's kind of a strange for like a book that was so heavy about science to have the guy who's all about science, like cover this end of the spectrum, and then just kind of not to have ever, anyone blink about it. I mean, I guess it makes sense because God knows it's not like they haven't teamed up with Doctor Strange a million times before. But it, it really was one of those weird, strange, like rereading through the the Spider Man and even the few issues of the Fantastic Four that I flipped through. They are so overwrought, but. Which I I sort of appreciate the melodrama. I kind of really appreciate the fact that the Marvel characters used to be all about kind of second guessing themselves. And while I don't think that that's that can get really maudlin and trite, uh, to me there is there are times where I miss that where people are caught up in their circumstances and going and and it having an actual effect on what they believe or what they think. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it's it's something that I don't think. Something I don't think can really happen in Marvel or DC anymore because I think it would change the character too much. I think there's a, I think there's definitely a lack of genuine change allowed in these characters anymore. Right. Yeah, I, I, I kind of feel so. I mean, at least with the bigger characters. I mean, I, the thing that I'm sure if we were to sit down and look at it, the character that has 100 that is changed and grown the most in the Marvel universe in the last five to ten years is probably like. Luke Cage, right? You know, and also Jessica Jones that didn't exist, you know, in the Marvel Universe before 10 years ago. Yeah. Know? But... Uh, um, I'm trying to think. Really? I guess. 
it could be, I mean, I, I could be wrong, but like considering one of those issues of Amazing Spider-Man is the issue where J. Jonah Jameson like hires Luke Cage to like bring in Spider-Man and, you know, they end up, Spider-Man and Luke Cage end up fighting and basically in, just as much in part because Spider-Man insults Luke Cage and Luke Cage is so uh, aggravated that he's called a mercenary that he continues to basically um, fighting fighting with the character for like 15 pages until they until Spider-Man is like, hey, you know what? I was kind of being a jerk. I apologize. And then it's over. You know, it's kind of like a really weird to go from that to the way the Luke Cage that we have now, which and again, frankly, 10 years ago, that was basically the same Luke Cage, more or less, you know. A little, a little less rough around the edges, but you know, to have him go from hero for hire to like heading up one super team or another—I'm not keeping track—and married and with a kid and kind of being the—he's sort of the new heart and soul of the Marvel universe. He's the—he's the new Ben Grimm. He is the—he is the new Ben Grimm. That I think you're right, and I'm kind of fascinated as to what that actually means. <laughs> that is true. I uh, I'm I'm not sure. So guess what, sir? It's it's an hour. Yeah. I have no idea if this is a, a satisfying chunk of podcasts talk for you people, but it is an hour, and that's yes. what we decided we're doing. That's it. You've got to let us know uh, one way or the other. So yeah, um, I think I think that actually works surprisingly well. We've got Lord knows we talked about comics and Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> and Drew Satan. I Which think still blows my mind. <laughs> Seriously, I'm sorry, I can't get past that. That's that's just what? I mean, I say to this, what? It, it's just amazing. It's amazing. 